Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello everybody, welcome to an early edition of Radio Techers, not even Radio Techers, Five Rounds Pod, that's because I've been on Radio Techers today, let's hit the intro. Hey, weren't that a good game, Wales versus Denmark? <laughs> Welcome oh. to the Five Rounds podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have uh, we have just finished watching UFC Fight Night, uh, Vegas Thirty, Cyril Gagne versus Alexander Volkov. Um, we certainly just haven't finished watching Wales versus Denmark. Uh, let's quickly run through these prelims. So we actually started the the, the day with Jan Timideris on on the very first fight, which is a big shot. Uh, he, he lost in the decision to Demir Hadzovic. Uh, then Charles Rosa picked up the the decision against Justin James in the in the featherweight division. Then we had a, a women's bantamweight uh, bout with a, a third round submission for Julia Alvila over Julia Stolyarenko. Uh, into the into the light heavyweights, we got a second round knockout by Marcin Prachnio over RK Villanueva. Uh, in the welterweights, we then got a second round knockout by Jeremiah. Wells against uh, Marley Alves, and then uh, sticking in the welterweights, we got uh, Shavkat Rachmanov uh, picking up the second round victory against Michelle Prezeres, and then the feature prelim light heavyweight Kennedy uh, Zichukwu uh, getting the getting the third round knockout of Danilo Marquez in a in a match that I thought that was an early call to be fair, and Marquez had had, had schooled. Uh, crew for for the majority of that fight. So let's uh, let's get into um, into this main card. We started with Renato uh, Moicano taking on Ja Herbert. Uh, Carl, what did you think of this opening fight? It was a really open fight. Right, I'll start with obviously Ja. He's were a phenomenal standout for Cage Warriors. Mm-hmm. Came over with on an absolute tear. Um, of a win streak and a record but he's coming to the UFC and you've got to respect him the fact is he's not one of these fighters that wants to hand pick his opponents and basically move up the ladder that way and pick the easy fights his first fight were against what Francisco Trinaldo mm-hmm. he unfortunately lost that by KO yeah. this fight obviously against he's lost by sub. by sub but they're against two high level guys it's not like he came in with this sort of heart behind it from Cage Warriors and, and been like, right, I want I want this nobody, if you will. So I've got to respect him for it. But unfortunately, there's just something there that he's not getting over that he, he, he can't mm-hmm. he, he can't win the fights, unfortunately. There's there's something that obviously in his last fight with the KO uh in the third round, 
this time it's in the it's in the second round. It was going into the third round. Mm-hmm. He's able to sort of hang for the first five to ten minutes, and then after that, it's sort of the 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 fight just sort of starts slipping from him. Now in this fight, he, you can see that he, there were that fire there, but he wasn't able to. to <laughs> In a way, it's hard to say he wasn't able to sort of get back to his feet when he got taken down because he, he, he he's against uh, Renati's his, his ground games is phenomenal. And, so it, and and this was not only a, um, going up against an elite level uh, grappler, but an elite level grappler who was having one of his best performances. Mm-hmm. His take his takedowns were on point. I think he scored a hundred percent of his takedowns. There was just no stopping him. In the first round, he broke his own record for the amount of takedowns he got, and he was just so he smothered uh, Jar Herbert. That was the issue that uh, Jar had, uh, and and. It's not like Ja was was uh, was poor on the ground. He had adequate uh, uh, grappling. It's just he was not at the level of Renato Moicano at all. Well, that's it. You could you could tell that if every time Renato was in positions where he could transition to a better position, he were able to do it. And it's not like it was hard for him to transition to them. And it's not like Jay wasn't wasn't actually trying to defend him. He was. But he was looking for more of the fact is I'm on the ground with a guy who's clearly a better grappler than me. What do I try and do? Do I do I try and grapple with him or do I try and get into the position where I get back to my feet? And he was trying to do that and he was getting back to his feet rapidly. He was fast. The only problem is Ricardo was was on point. He was like you just say, he was he wanted to do what what he did in the first round, he broke his own record mm-hmm. for that for that many for that many takedowns. And and just the, the control time as well. I think in the in the nine and a half minutes that the fight lasted, he had control on the ground for like seven of those minutes. And that's it. And he got cracked. He definitely. And the good thing is he got cracked as well. So he, his chins, his chins intact. And yeah, yeah, not a not a soft hitter. He he can hit. He can hit fair hard. But you've got to give it to. Um, I forgot his name. Right? Mike Carno. Mike Carno. My apologies. Mike Arno, obviously from his last fight, coming away from uh, a KOTK loss to come into this fight, get into a game plan and actually sticking to it. He knew that Jay wasn't going to be any walkover. He knew that he had to train for this fight and mm-hmm. come in at 100%. And that's why we were able to see the performance he were able to put on. The, the sort of the best performance he's put on in the last couple of fights, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um and it just goes to show us what we say on this show all the time that there is levels to this sport. And unfortunately, Jay has has come in and and he's hit that brick wall of a level. Uh, that's that's no slight on him now as well. Absolutely I mean, not his, his record going into the UFC was like ten and one. So yeah. he, he's got uh, MMA chops. It's just that he's uh, he's taking a couple of uh, fights to adapt to the UFC style. And like you said at the beginning of your breakdown. He's not took the easy route. He could have easily asked for for um, fighters outside the top fifty, but he's gone for top fifty. Yeah, not top fifty. Like Moicano's not top fifteen. Nowhere near top fifteen. Well, where would he be ranked? I don't even know where he's ranked. It'll, it'll be. It'll, I'll, 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 I'll look into it, but I'm sure it'll be. It's around about thirty, I think. But uh, the fact that Jay has gone for those level of fighters. Coming in fresh to the UFC, he could have easily asked for uh, people with poor records or people on their way out. And he hasn't. He, he's he's took the biggest fights. He, he, he could have asked for a lesser name on the prelims where it's a bit less pressure, but he's not. He's coming and again, he's the he's the open fight to a main card, which is a lot of pressure in itself. Because that's one of the other than the featured prelim that basically is there for people in the audience to get them sort of riled up and ready for the event. Because not a lot of them. Not a lot of people, when they watch UFC on the television, usually watch the pre. I know there's a lot of hardcore fans out there who watch it, but there's a lot of people who don't generally tune in to the prelims. So in the when they're in the arenas and in the stadiums, the featured prelim is more of the, an open bout for them. But when you get the when you're the actual opener for the the main card, you've got like a sort of in a way. You've got like um, I'm trying to think of the word. What the fuck am I trying to think of? You've got that mark, you've got that benchmark. You've got to set you to, the, to basically keep everyone entertained to sort of show. Oh, this is going to be a good card. Look at look at how the first part went. 
And you've got to give it to them, both of them. It were a scrap. Yeah, it was definitely and, a scrap. And for context, Renato, uh, Renato uh, is ranked 27. Um, so, um, again, that that's prop to Jay for, for taking those fights. Like I said, he could have uh, he could have asked for a way lower ranked fighter, but and that, well, and as well, a lot of people could look at that and think 20, 20 what did you just say? 27, 27, yeah, that could be a lot lower down. Just think it's in a lightweight division in the UFC, just think, stacked. yeah, just think, I mean, just, just for um, just for context, uh. John McDessie is lower ranked. Jim Miller is lower ranked. Claire Guida is lower ranked. Um, Karma Werber is lower ranked. Um, so Michael Johnson is lower ranked than that. So he's took on, a, for someone who's 0-1 in the UFC, that's a brave, brave uh, um, fight to take on, I think. Yeah, definitely. But I think I'd like to see him take on someone a bit, a bit lower down, just to get that. To it, get a win, to well, get that confidence of a win. You can understand why the UFC like these European fighters to come in and sort of push yourself straight away. It's, it's the market that they've always wanted to get into and get into properly. Other than Bisping winning the title until basically getting up there and challenging for the belt. And you can even go back to when, uh, obviously, Dan Arder was fighting um, JSP. It's always that market they've always, they've always wanted to expand. That's why we've got the privilege today of, of, of watching it very early, doing this podcast early, mm-hmm. from not having to do it at like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's always a. They always seem to try, in a way, slightly push the European fighters a lot. In America, they've got a sh- they've got a shitloads of fighters, organisations coming mm. out their arse, so they can pick fighters. Dana White can can do a full series of Dana White contender looking for a fight, whatever, just over in America. Whereas over in Europe, he'd have to bounce from uh, Italy, France, Sweden, England, Russia, Norway. You'd have to go all over the place to do that sort of stuff. So once you get a once you get a good European fighter who's got not only who's a good fighter but got a good reputation in Europe and got a good following. Look at Paddy, who's just been signed for UFC. He's got a good uh, reputation and he's got a good uh, fight record. He's massively loved in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. The UFC know that. The UFC know buzzing. We've got another Darren Till on our hands. So as soon as they get a European star, they always like to try and push them faster than the average Joe. Yeah. Sometimes it's bad for them. Like again, I'm not shitting on uh, on Jay. He's, he's again, he were a standout from Cage Warriors, but there's a slight difference in the talent to what Cage Warriors elite is to what UFC elite is. Like I say, yeah. Cage Warriors are generally the top prospect for in in England and in Europe. The UFC is for worldwide. They're mm-hmm. looking for the best fighters around the globe. Yeah, and we've seen that uh, plenty of times with uh, British and European fighters that they get pushed to the moon and uh, they quickly end up falling down. It happened with Jimmy uh, Manua. It happened uh, in 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 a part to uh, Dan Hardy. He got pushed to the the title scene, and then once he dropped that that uh, title match, his career went in freefall. Uh, so it, it does happen that uh, sometimes the European fighters are. Uh, and maybe not as as handled with kid gloves as the as some of the American fighters are. Yeah. But after that, we went into the welterweight division uh, with uh, Tim Means taking on uh, Nicholas Dalbian. Oh, this was a this was a, a fairly decent brawl. I, I, I was really entertained by this. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, striking, a lot of uh, um, grappling, a lot of uh, control against the fence. Um, essentially. Um, this was a a, a a good victory for for Tim Means, a very hard earned victory. Um, the 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 first round, he I think he he set the pace. He uh, he uh, did well getting um, um, uh, Nicholas Dalby onto the floor. Uh, did well uh, controlling him on, on on the ground. But when it uh, when it gets back to his feet, um, I think that uh, Tim Means did did uh, well in, in in working the jabs. Um, Dalby was finding more success really with uh with the kicks uh and using those kicks to feign uh, uh going in for the clinch. Uh, but when when Tim landed shots, you could see he was doing a lot more damage. By the end of that first round, you could see that uh, uh Nicholas Dalby's face was was getting pretty uh pretty cut up. Uh going in into the second, um there was um a, a, a a, a really good leg kick by Nicholas Dalbe. He was he was starting to find a lot of uh, a lot of uh, positivity from that. Uh, but there was um, the, there was a point where um, Tim Means was was 
dirty boxing and he was actually roughing up uh, Nicholas Dalbin. And I think that that really kind of started to affect Dalbin to the point where he was getting more and more wild with his shots and, and putting himself more at risk. Uh, in some places, it, it did pay off. It uh, landed a, a, a nice uh, high kick, but then in other times, he swung and then felt uh, the the kind of comeback crippling him. Uh, there was one point where he got a low kick and, and you could see it buckled him, uh, sent him down to the floor. Uh, third round, I thought that that was probably uh, Dalby's best round. He, he looked the, uh, like he knew he had to win that round, uh, potentially uh, needed a finish to, to get the knockout. But uh, Tim Means uh, was able to, to fend him off, um, still land a lot of his own shots, uh, neutralising um, any kind of like offence by... Uh, Dalbe in just by clinching and, and and keeping him up against the fence, and Tim Means walked away with a with the unanimous decision, and I think a, a very well earned decision. Yeah, definitely. You couldn't say he didn't win the fight, and if you did, you definitely well have watched it properly, or you don't know how to score a UFC fight. <laughs> the problem for me is with Nicholas is I think when back in 2015 when he ended up drawing with Aaron Till, and then ended up getting cut in 2016 by the UFC. And then making his way back, learning from his losses, learning from his defeats, coming back in 2019. He obviously won the fight by decision, showing the UFC that, look, I've, I've improved, I've learned from my losses, you basically need to keep me around. And they did, they did exactly that. They've given him a couple more fights. He's not managed to sort of find that momentum of what he did when he came back to re-sign for the UFC. And my personal opinion, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I believe he needs to realise that, remember that in 2016 when he got cut, because it's, it's easy, once you're back in that situation, say if you get cut from the UFC, yeah, and you're going to, right, you can come back to us now, you have a couple of fights, and it's like, all right, was it? I've a couple of fights, and he's, a, he's an exciting fighter, so he's, in his head, he's probably thinking, I've got no reason to get caught. I'm excited. Fact, most of the fights I'm in are excited. And they are. The UFC love them sort of fights. I'll go on with Tim uh, Means in a minute. But we're, he, that's he's sort of, I think that might be his sort of problem, where he's, he's got comfortable in his work ethic of he needs, needs to do that, that much to sort of win that fight. But unfortunately, he, he's not being able to sort of push to that extra level of basically reaching back to them ATP sources and, and pushing it for that extra mile. He's not, he doesn't seem to be able to do that. So I believe he needs to go back and realise, hang on a minute, I got cut before. It could still happen again. Exciting a fighter or not, it could still happen again. But lick your wounds, come back stronger. Yeah. On to Tim Means. Tim Means is an absolute veteran. Been in the UFC since like 2012. Well, I think that was his <laughs> What, 24 fights, something like that? 23rd fight? If I were to put my money on it, I'd stick it around that area. But yeah, he's an absolute veteran in the octagon. He's boxing, he's kickboxing, he's wrestling, he's jiu-jitsu. All round, he's good. Now, fair enough, he's not the best. He's not the best of the elites, but he's one of the fighters that has got an all-round game. That's why he's been in the UFC since 2012. You put him up against anyone in that in, in the welterweight, well, out of the top, 10 or the top 15 in the welterweight divisions, he's sort of our gatekeeper for them. He's been yeah. in the UFC a long time. If you can somewhat hang with him or get past him, I believe you've got a good chance at, at sticking around in that top 15 to top 10 and then working your way up. Tim Means is one of them gritty fighters. He always comes and brings it. He always comes to fight. doesn't matter where the fight, like I said, he's well-rounded. doesn't matter where the fight's going. He knows how to fight offensively and defensive, uh, defensively. He's just quality well-rounded. If you're not ready for, in a way, a war with Tim Means, he'll, like you said in this fight, he'll just dirty box you. He'll, he'll ruin your organs and he'll just... he'll. He's not the hardest puncher either. That's what makes it scary. He's got like the, the Nathan and Nick Diaz sort of style where it's like, it's not the most powerful that gets you. It's, it's the, the, all, yeah, it's the yeah. overwhelmingness mm -hmm. of him hitting you in the ribs, him hitting you in the head, and that's it. And, that's the thing that gets you tired yourself, not the fatigue of you trying to hit him back or or do anything. It's mainly if you sort of allow him to fight his fight, which is a, is a dirty boxing style, you you have got chance to win him. But 
again, he overwhelms you. So, and that's what fatigues you. That's what you're taking all that punishment to your body and your head. You're trying to defend, you're trying to move. Then you, you start to get panic and then it's like, shit, I can't do anything. Next thing before you know, you, you fucking forget to breathe. And then next thing before you know, it's like, shit, why, why is my stomach going all the way out when I'm breathing? Mm-hmm. You, you just get yourself fucked straight away so fast, especially with a veteran like that. He knows how to pressure you. He knows how to keep the pressure on. And if you're not one of them elite fighters who can sort of push it better than him, he's winning that fight nine out of ten times. Again, that's why he's been in the UFC since 2012. Is he going to go sort of past where he is now? Probably not. That's why, in my opinion, he's my gatekeeper for outside the top 10, top 15. Mm-hmm. But he's one of them fighters that, if you're a hardcore and mixed martial arts fan, let alone UFC, he's one of them fighters that, that sort of fits in your top 20 fighters of like, yeah, I wouldn't say best of all time, but I'm just most gritty fighters. He, he, he sort of fits in there with like the, the gatekeeper category of in your top 10, top 15. Yeah, a, a win over Tim certainly means something <laughs> to your career. <laughs> uh, next, let's go back to the featherweight division. Um, controversial end to this fight, but we've got Andre Fila. Uh, Touchy Feeler taking on Daniel Pineda. And <laughs> this match baffled me only because I don't understand how Daniel Pineda survived that first round. Um, it's it's shocking how he was still alive uh, at the end of that five minutes because he he got destroyed in uh, in the the stand up. He got destroyed on the ground. He got yeah. He he was knocked out legitimately at least a couple of times. He got he got <laughs> kicked in the liver, which crit which just folded him in half. Um, he had his face was absolutely just getting destroyed. Uh, how Feely didn't finish him in that first round, that's testament to Pineda for having a that's solid fuck, chin. That's, that's chin, that's hard. Because that chin... To that, that chin reminded me of the, the Simpsons cartoon where Homer got to be a boxer and he's just getting punched and punched and punched. Um, but coming out in, out in the second, it, it, it felt like it was going to be exactly the same thing. Um, Fila was landing uh, big shots straight away, landing kicks to the body. Uh, Pineda did try to do something in that second round, but then he gets poked in the eye. Uh, the ref uh, uh, calls time. Uh, the doctor comes out to uh, to uh, evaluate the situation. And props again to Pineda. He wanted to fight on to the point where he... He essentially lied to the doctor about being able to see his fingers. Uh, yeah, uh, but um, most disappointingly for it, uh, for the result was that it goes down as a no contest, and Andre Fila can feel so disappointed in himself for not finishing it in that first round. Obviously, the air poke, um, it's it was accidental, but Fila can only have himself to blame. That 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 fight is not a win in his column because he had that everything in that fight won, and then he poked uh, Pineda in the eye and the, and the fight get got uh, got called off. So unfortunately, it's a, a no contest. Carlos, uh, how do you think Andre Feely will be feeling now? Andre <laughs> Feely, I'm full of puns today. Well, I don't think he'll be feeling anyone's arse. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, go, go on. I've got to put up the funny point of this. The commentary team was trying to explain, obviously, the rule of why the uh, Herpine didn't give the sort of five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. And we now know, well, I'm going to I'm gonna look this up because, uh, again, I'm sure it's all the time, any any sort of medical stoppage, whether it be kicking the bollocks, kicking the kicking the fanny or whatever, punching the titter, well, what, whatever it is, whether it's a medical uh, just stoppage, I'm, in the rule book, I'm sure it says, well, you get five minutes. So I don't... Yeah, I, I don't think... think I don't I think, think I've read that, anywhere where it says it's up to like the referee's discretion of whether you get that five minutes or not. And our book, to me, is the equivalent of getting kicked to the dick. So, so according to uh, the commentary team, uh, and they mentioned it way later in the in the broadcast, like in, almost in the main event. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, the the five minutes is actually for the referee. It's the referee's uh, time to evaluate the situation. Uh, but it's always been uh, portrayed as the the fighter has got five minutes. Yeah, 
because how many times have we seen John McCarthy or uh, Keith Peterson or or Mike Beltran say, you've got five minutes. Yeah. Uh, Mark Goddard, he says it a hell of a lot. Uh, you've got five minutes, so take your time. Um, but at, but according to the the commentary team, the rules actually say that that is the referee's five minutes, not the fighter's five minutes. Well, if you're if you're watching us live now and you want to go and look it up and throw it in the comments, we'd much appreciate it. If you if it is the up to the referee's distraction, if it's a medical stoppage, apple kicking the nuts or whatever, whether it's it is the actual mm-hmm. referee's discretion to say, well, have you got five minutes, or whether it's him to just say. He basically is fat. Now, I can understand. Well, it's when they were doing that, John Anik was like, oh, so I do apologise. Straight away, Paul Felder. I hope you don't apologise. No. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I said some of what I want. You can just tell you, you were, you can tell you the father, 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 or not. You can just tell you were a father. Yeah. You don't apologise. I mean, to be fair, that wasn't even the best zinger that Paul Felder came out with in that broadcast. They were talking about uh, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Uh, and Connor, Connor asking <laughs> Dustin, can we can we not do any grappling? Uh, and Paul Felder went, yeah, which I'd ask most of my fighters that. <laughs> and yeah. I would have fought back a chef then yeah. uh, if we could have said, yeah, no grappling, mate. Can we just say that, please? Come on, come on. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in the fact, like you said, there's no point you going over it for have just gone near of all of it. But yeah, Feely's got himself to blame. If you're winning a fight so dominantly like that, you... You sort of you try your best you, to you give, it, you give Pineda an out, even though Pineda didn't take the out, you gave him the out. Well, that's it, and yeah, congrats to Pineda. There's a lot of people out there now, we can see it. Look at Sterling, look at um, Pineda, who did he who did he fight? Diego Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Said a lot of people who took the out now, he didn't, he took the apple, he couldn't see with length, so he had one finger up, forward, what, yeah. and then he's like, No, do it again, just wipe my eyes, do it again. Same fucking finger, one. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's like, so you can see where where uh, being stopped the fight. Obviously, mm-hmm. with your arm, with your retina, all the stuff going behind your arm, with your mouth, with obviously your brain. Um, you can see where uh, being stopped the fight. No disrespect. I'm not saying, like, going back to the five minutes, I'm not saying that obviously we're a dick move, blah, blah. Just saying I don't fully, I'm not fully confident in, in the answer I've got in my head. So I'd like to know it. But you can see why he stopped the fight. Referee safety and fighter safety, he, that's his job at the end of the day. And the physician has got a job to, to do his job. And he did it perfectly. He came in and you can somewhat tell as soon as like the, the commentary of making it hard work saying don't stop the fight and you can't blame them hard works. Everyone in the, the if I were there, I'd be like, don't stop this fucking fight, please. But <laughs> they've all got a job to do with fighter safety. They, they all did it perfectly as well. But again, he, he, he was trying to lie to the ref. He was trying to lie to the doctor to keep that fight going, but at the end of the day, there were, there were 30 seconds left of the fight, even if they did let that fight go on, it were only going to go one way. Now, I suppose, it were a good fight, it was a good fight, so now I suppose we can see it again, but without an airport golfer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, after that, we we then went into the bantamweight division, uh, Rayone Barcelos taking on Timo Valiev, and this... Uh, Another fight that went to decision, uh, but I thought this was a, another really, really entertaining fight. Uh, first round, I, I give slightly to Valiev. I thought that even though it was quite a nervy first round, um, especially for the first couple of minutes, there were um, a lot of kind of testing jabs that didn't really get anywhere, uh, a couple of body kicks, uh, but I thought that Valiev, uh, um, he was he was the more aggressive, I suppose. Uh, he through an uppercut. He was throwing uh, um, more of those kind of like low kicks. Um, he attempted a Superman punch. Uh, nothing really uh, exciting so much happened in this first round. It was, it was very much kind of like a feeling out process. Um, going into the second, I thought that uh, Barcelos came out and was, was absolutely dominant in the second round. Um, he was very pressing, uh, stuffed the takedowns of, of Valiev. Uh, and then um, he landed some huge, huge shots, uh, big left hand uh, that uh, stopped Valiev shooting in again. And then he landed uh, uh, the the low kick, the the left, uh, which drops uh, Valiev. Uh, took a Valiev took a, a a bit of ground and pound, uh, but was able to get back to uh, to his feet. Barcelos clips him again, and he goes back down to the floor. Um, 
Valiev did really well to survive that last um, 45 seconds or so um, on the floor. Looked like uh, he, he was just basically in survival mode. Um, and Barcelo must have come into this third round thinking, I've got this one. Uh, and he would have been right to, to, to think that. Epset Valiev turned it up in the third round. Still looking shaky. Still, I mean, when he went to his corner on the third round, he fell into his chair. He was, he was, he was away with the fairies. But he came out in that third round and he did what he needed to do. He, he was the more active. He, he, a lot of his shots were missing, but he was still throwing them. And the ones that did land hurt Barry, uh, hurt Barcelos uh, quite a lot. Um, he he then uh, used that kind of wrestler mentality of when you are uh, suffering and when you are struggling, you go for the takedowns. Whether they you pull them off or not, it's not it's really not the point. It's more you're giving yourself them extra few seconds to to gather your own force to get your your own head right. Mm. Um, and if you do get the takedown, you've got all that time to to suck in big lungfuls of of, of oxygen, uh, and and hopefully you can go for the sub or 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 go for the finish. And that's exactly what Valio did. He did enough work in this third round to um, to kind of cancel out that dominant second round of Barcelos, which meant it all fell on that first round. And for me, it, it was tight, but I give that first round to, to Valiev. And the, the judges seemed to agree. Uh, one judge gave it 28-28, uh, but the other two gave it 29-28 uh, uh, to Timo Valiev. And I, I can see why uh, Barcelos was frustrated, especially after that dominant second round. But you don't just win the fight in one round. It, it goes uh, to the distance and it, it goes on what the what the judges see throughout the full 15 minutes. And for me, I believe that they were they did the right call in, in giving it to, to Valiev. See, this was an exciting fight for me because I actually missed the first round of this fight because I was actually sorting some, like, some shit out. So when I was actually watching this fight, so the second so the second round, give it to Barcelos. So mm-hmm. the third round, give it to Valiev. So I was actually looking at it, thinking to myself, like, shit, I'm actually excited at this because who took that first round? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. Who actually, obviously, watching the second round, I thought, obviously, Barcelos must have won that first round. I was looking at me. It was dominant. Yeah. yeah. But then, obviously, in the third round, you had Valiev basically turning it up and just absolutely, like you said, just trying to dig deep and, and trying and, and get that win. He did do enough for me to take that third round. So it, it was, in a way, 50-50, like, who, who was going to take it? I'm going to have to go back and re-watch the fight, but this was just a dog fight in that second round. I don't mm-hmm. know how he, he were able to survive the onslaught, but he, he were able to. I think there were, like, 16 seconds left where you could just see in his eyes where they were just glazed over. He was like, oh, shit, what's... What's going on here? And he were able to get on his face. He fell on his stool. The really should have put the ass on his head to try and get rid of them cobwebs, but instead mm-hmm. of rubbing his back, he you were already knackered anyway. You, you've got the, I don't know, the two choices of all eagles. You either get rid of the cobwebs on the head or you sort of get rid of that, that aching feeling from like your triceps. But what, what would you want more as a fight going into the third round? Mm-hmm. A bit more of a clear head or some cold shoulders? I know which one I'd want, especially going into a tight fight like that. But he did enough to where he was able to to pick up the victory and congratulations to him, the absolute dog. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, going into the core main event now, the first uh, of the two heavyweight fights. Um, and this this first one, Tanner Borza taking on Orvin St. Prior, who... I will keep saying it till the cows come home. Orvin St. Priya is not a heavyweight at all. He doesn't fit. He just needs to learn how to cut weight properly to get down to to lightweight. You can't keep having this this dance between heavyweight and lightweight. It just it doesn't work. You haven't got the power of this division. And he proved it in this fast. Obviously, Peru is too much of a slow starter for the heavyweight division. I mean, now, in the last heavyweight... Even in this part, though, it, they're slow starting, and then there's this. He, he threw maybe two punches in the whole of the first but round. This, but this is what I mean. When you go, when you miss your weight at light heavyweight, and that's your natural... It, it is his natural weight. When you... Well, let's face it. Natural fighting weight, it's light heavyweight. 
that's where he performs at his best. Obviously, as you get older, and how many fights you get on, it's not as easy to get that weight cut. But in the in the heavyweight, if you're sort of a, a slow starter, you're in the heavyweight. You're you're carrying that extra whatever twenty summer mm-hmm. maybe thirty odd pounds. So if you're a slow starter already, and, and you're letting your opponent basically take that first round, you just basically took five minutes of basically getting battered there and moving about as a big guy, as as the pace that goes on, that's going to take it out here. And we've always said, Bru, it's not like he's a knockout artist or a one punch knockout uh, puncher. And it's not like he's a very good boxer in the first place. We all know what he wants to do. It's the same as um, Holiday. He wants, he, to, he wants to wrestle. Yeah, he wants to take you down. He wants to put in that bomb flu choke. Yeah. But as the round goes on, he gets more tired. He gets text more punishment. And he's not able to execute the takedown. And as we said in the main event, it's a lot harder to, to secure a takedown to an, a, a heavier guy than it is a lighter guy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how much sort of skill you've got. If they've got the, if if they've got a, a decent wrestling defense and they've got a bit of weight behind them, it's not going to be easy just to go right because that single leg or that double leg and, and take them down. And again, and even if you you try and do that and you don't get it, well, you've just exerted loads of energy trying to take down a two hundred and twenty plus pound guy who, who who probably weighs more coming into fight there. So it, it's just not in a fighting wise. It's not good for you. He's gonna. He fucks himself over com- completely fighting at heavyweight. Yeah. Unless he can adapt to. I say things like Daniel Cormier. A lot of people saying he were a fat guy. Yeah, it's all we're a fat guy. But look at his build. He was like five foot nine, five foot ten. Mm-hmm. Built like a brick shit house. He was that static like power. Yeah, the, the the sort of static power he had when he were able to lift because of his frame. That's why he were able to lift a lot of people. Like Josh Barnett and stuff like that, where he was just basically lift them up by his leg and swing them and drop them on their head. Mm-hmm. Look at what he did to Gustafsson. When he lifted Gustafsson, he did exactly the same to him. Gustafsson, what? Six foot four, six foot three. Yeah. yeah. So he's not a small guy, but always say Peru hasn't got the standard of wrestling as what DC's got. And he definitely hasn't got the standard of boxing and the stand up game as he's got. So he goes nowhere for me in that heavyweight division, far from in this fight. Yeah. And, Not and and the issue is as well taking this fight into account. He's faced a, a, a Tanner Bozu. Uh, he's coming off two losses, uh, and this oh, this he's like a fucking truck. Yeah, and this was the best that he's been in a long, long time. Even um, after his wins over the likes of Philip Lins, I've, I have not seen a Tanner Bozu as light on his feet as he was in this in this fight. Started off fresh. Uh, uh, his movement was absolutely superb, landing huge kicks and landing big shots. But the issue was that that OSP he didn't throw anything. He just wasn't. He hasn't in the last five fights that I've watched of him. He hasn't had that that uh, kind of uh, get up and go to want to take the the lead in the fight. He's always almost trying to react to something. Always trying to wait for the perfect. Uh, opportunity to, to go for the takedown or the perfect opportunity to land a big shot. Mm. And it, it, it loses him fast because he's not putting the output in. Uh, and then when you when you get to the likes of, of the second round, um, it gets finished. It gets knocked clean out. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy to it, I suppose, because um, Orvin Sempriou's corner was, was claiming that uh, Tanner Bozzi, uh gripped the cage to help him stand up. Uh, the sl- the slow motion replay shows that he he actually presses his his closed fist against the cage and uses that uh, as as a uh, momentum to to get up. So he hasn't actually broken any rules there. Mm. Uh, but the issue is he lands a, a, a sweet knee afterwards. Uh, uh, OSP goes in uh, to shoot, um, and then um, uh, Tanner lands two beautiful punches and is knocked Saint Peru clean out. Um, I think. Maybe not only is this the end of of Orvin St. Prue's uh, dalliance at heavyweight, Dana needs to be telling him that he, he's not a heavyweight fighter instead of uh, instead of um, kind of uh, just letting him call these fights. But is this the end of Orvin St. Prue as a UFC fighter? Because I don't think it reminds me of, of Tyron Woodley. He doesn't seem to have the energy for right, it so anymore. Okay, Dana what? I reckon they said to him, either you, you go back down and try and make it a last run at either light heavyweight, or you get one more chance at heavyweight. And if he gets knocked out, he's going to get cut anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
But yeah, uh, but he's one of the fighters at heavyweight and stuff like that. It's not like you've got a lot of big names out there to get cut. We haven't seen a lot of fighters in that division get cut ball from the older names. So, yeah, but again, we, we're still right in what we're saying. It's a slow start, and in the, in the UFC, in the heavyweight division, everyone's got power. It's not like you have to have good technique. They've all got 220-plus pounds behind the punch that they're throwing. So you're going you're gonna to be able to knock a fucking horse out with that. I mean, the guy hasn't got two wins in a row since 2017. And that's that's not good, especially for the heavyweight division. Look at it, they, they, they fucking killers, man. It's, I know mm-hmm. we say that the killers in a lot of the divisions, but in the heavyweight division, in the top two, the top three, top five, they're all murderers. And he stands up to none of them. Where Tanner Bowser, I mean, he lost to Ben Rathwell, who is is the epitome of, an, of a heavyweight gatekeeper. Yeah, he, and uh, to me, I, I love the way he fights. He fights like he's pissed constantly. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Ben Rothwell, but he's never going to be someone who you think is going to be an elite level uh, world championship um, uh, fighter. No. And if you are losing to Ben Rothwell and you're losing to Tanner Borza, you're not a heavyweight. <laughs> no, you're absolutely not. And Tanner Borza, obviously, a lot of people, uh, I, I'm not shit on him, he won the part. He's he's an absolute dog when it comes to fights like this. He's technique-wise, it's not like he's technically sound or he's got it all there. He just knows that he's got an hard chin, he can take a crack, and he'll mm-hmm. he'll give one to take one. And that's his sort of fighter's mentality. And again, with him, he reminds me of somewhat of a, a young Roy Nelson. Now, we know as mixed martial arts, it evolves so quick. And that only takes you so far. We're just in nature. Look at how many farts you, how many dog farts you can have without it taking a toll on your body. The heavyweight division, you, you can go a couple of farts like that before actually it taking a toll on you. I, I suppose you can even put the argue back to look at Cain Velasquez and the Junior Santos. They them they only had like what two or three wars together, mm-hmm. and their bodies were fucked after that yeah. with the training camps and the farts they had. So you can only fart like that for so long, especially when you, you're farting much bigger guys who's swinging a sledgehammer at your head. Yep, I totally, totally agree. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, let's go into this main event now. Uh, the, the fact that the card was built around Cyril Gagne, unbeaten in his... Uh, not only in his MMA career, actually unbeaten in his kickboxing career as well. I think he was 7-0 in kickboxing, and he's currently, well, he was 8-0 going into this fight in in MMA, um, going against Alexander Volkov. Um, And for me, this fight, um, it was was a chess match. It felt like a chess match to me. Uh, This didn't feel like an MMA bout. It felt like a a kickboxing bout uh, and it was ironic that one of uh, the, the the Twitter post that the, the UFC broadcast put up said, I feel like I'm watching a karate sparring match. Oh, yeah. from Derek Lewis. That yeah. And it's right. It, 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 it did feel like that. This was pretty much um, a kickboxing. It was a, it was a K1 match. 
um, mm. essentially. Um, there's not really anything that, that separates the rounds as well. Uh, it's a lot of uh, uh, Alexander Volkov using the leg kicks and Cyril Gagne uh, going for, for the, the head with, with uh, put, uh, jabs and, and hooks. Um, kind of almost cancelling each other out. So you could you could make an argument for for this being a lot closer than any of the judges gave it. I mean, uh, two of the judges gave all five rounds to Cyril Gagne, which for me is is unbelievable. How they didn't at least give that first round to Volkov is is shocking. With the the numbers that he put up in terms of uh, leg kicks, uh, and he was pretty even with the punches as well. Um, I can I can see the point for the rest of the the rounds. Uh, I think Gagne felt the more. Um, the more I, I want to say controlling, he had the, the the middle of the octagon the majority of the time uh, when he was throwing his uh, his uh, punches a lot more landed than than Volkov's did. But then Volkov can have the argument that a lot more of his uh, leg kicks landed uh, than Cyril Gagne's did. The issue was uh, Gagne didn't show any kind of like pain or as if the leg kicks were 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 hurting him at all. There was points in the fight where he, his guard was fully down. He was switching stances. He was light on his feet for all the five rounds where Volkov has this kind of like stance where um, he's almost flat-footed all the way through the fight. And that, uh, if you're watching that as a, as a judge and you're seeing one fighter bouncing on his toes and looking energetic, um, looking like he's got control, and then you see someone like Volkov who is looking nervous, very flat-footed. That can kind of influence how you how you judge the the, the round, I suppose. Um, but Cyril Gagne picks up the victory, uh, can can consider himself fairly lucky, I would have said. Uh, Volkov can can definitely be aggrieved that uh, the scores were so weighted in in uh, in terms of Gagne. But it does show that once you get to the the higher uh, levels in in this uh, heavyweight division. Fighters cancel themselves out a hell of a lot. I mean, this is a Cyril Gagne who, um, before coming up to the likes of Rosenstruik, was knocking fools out, knocking fools clean out, gets to like that top five, and all of a sudden is is picking up decision after decision. That's because these fighters are the the difference between them is is like a it's paper thin. Um, but he can certainly make a call that he should be in that mix for the for the next title fight. I know we've got Lewis taking on Ngarnu, and there's always that kind of shadow of Bones uh, waiting in the wings. Well, Bones has said that he's not ready yet and he's going to come back. So I, I personally believe that we could... We're not going to see him in the next twelve months. Yeah, uh, and I, I saw a few of his tweets where people were asking him where where he is and uh, why is he not coming and and show these fools how to fight. And he said because he wants to transition to heavyweight the proper way. He said I could have easily packed on the muscle, but then my cardio, my speed, uh, my um, basically that my endurance would have been all affected. He said I want that uh, transition to be. Uh, as healthy as possible so I can retain that power, so I can retain that speed, I can retain the cardio and still uh, be able to uh, dominate fires. What Bones is doing is exactly what Nunes did. He just wants to go up smartly so they can take the belt. And that's, mm-hmm. look at Nunes, she went up smartly and she were able to debate Cyborg. You do it smart, you've got a good chance. Yeah. You do it stupidly by adding a little bit of muscle. You're doing OSP. Yeah, everything else gets fucked about your game. So if you're going to go into someone else's weight class, you've got to make sure you're prepared, especially Mm -hmm. when you're wanting... uh, It's not like you're jumping up to heavyweight and going, right, I'm going to fight someone out of the top 15 and top 10. No, you're going straight into fighting rank three, two, one, and then champion. So you want to be be in that sort of position, being ready. And with this fight, obviously Volkanovski coming... um, what were we strat force heavyweight champion coming I, in? I think I, I believe so. Yeah. So he he came into the UFC on high expectations of oh, this guy's going to be good. Look at him; he's got seven foot odd. He's he's got finishing power. And obviously, going back to when I said about you put a little bit of weight on it, it gets you harder to get tucked down. And he's he's understood that. And this is what I meant by I said we'll get into the when we get into the main event with Volkanovski. He's not. A wrestler again. He's a kickboxer, same as Gagne. He was. He was. Volkov was uh, champion in M1 and Bellator. Yeah. So he's. Oh yeah, that's Bellator, not Strap. Bellator. 
So he was able to to sort of use that weight when, surprisingly, Gagne waiting for a takedown. Now, obviously, I was surprisingly because he was a kickboxer. I was looking at this fight thinking to myself, well, when is he going to go in for a takedown? Because it doesn't matter if you're a kickboxer, you're both kickboxers, and he's a much taller guy. So he's going to be able to sort of, and especially in his last fight, using that jab, the perfectly easy did. Um, he were able to pack on that 20 odd pound when Civil went down for it, went, went in for a takedown on that single leg. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Alex's uh, technique wasn't clean and fast, but it was decent. It worked. He had decent takedown defense, and that's what I mean by when I say if you've got decent wrestling takedown defense, it doesn't have to be up there with Ben Askins and Daniel Cormier and Aaron Serial, just has to be decent enough to where it works mm-hmm. against the average person. It's the average athlete who's going to try and take you down. That works as well when you also weigh 200 pounds because it's not easy to take you down. And as soon as Civil were able to try and get up against, try and for the takedown failed and then pinned him up against the cage, I believe that he felt the sort of strength that, that Alex had, especially packing on that 20, that 20 extra pounds that he had. And that's why he were able, that's why he just thought, fuck this, I'm not getting in this position. He's a much taller guy, he's probably just going to twat me with elbows. He weighs a ton. I'm not going to take him down. I'm pinning up against the fence. He's not going to work. So he broke out and he, he kickboxed him. It was a perfect kickboxing match. I can well, I can, I can agree with Derek Lewis where the karate bit came from and the the chess match. But going breaking it down for down, the kickboxing with the leg kicks and the body kicks were there. And I believe that he hurt Alex's right arm with them kicks. Alex was trying to block a lot with that right arm, and he was like, "Shit, we're going red and purple around the back very fast." So, and we didn't see him use it that much. It was just more of, once your arm's brought like that, as a fighter, you can tough it out and pretend it's not and keep it there. But you going like that, you've got no fucking chance of obviously hurting like that. You don't support. Yeah, and, and you can't return the power. Yeah, exactly. The, mu- the muscle has nothing to, to push up against. Mm. The bone is not providing that structure. Yeah, and not only that, as long as you're doing that, when you go to punch, it's usually... Nothing's tensed up, so it's fast. And then at last, just before the impact, everything tenses up, so it's, you can get that thud right into it. Mm-hmm. If he were to do that, he'd fucking do more damage to him, but he'd end up breaking it even more. I believe so, that, that that's what's happened. Now, we won't know until if he gets x-rays or something, but he wasn't using it that much. I think that's why he was trying to use the leg kicks, so he would just try and slow Gagne's kicks down. But again, if you're throwing leg kicks and they're not effective, and your opponent's throwing more offensive back at you, if I were the judge in that fight, I'm judging that. I'm not I'm not thinking to myself, yeah, fair enough, you threw more significant leg strikes than him. I'm looking at the fact is when it's so close like that, who's had most control of the fight? Who's been in the middle most of the fight? What damage has been took and what damage has been given? Who, what fighter has walked through more damage? What fighter has tried to do more in the fight? Obviously, with Civil Gagne throwing up that fucking flying knee that you don't see uh, heavyweights do, that obviously in the in the eyes of the judges, but me, he must have got some still energy left because he's just done that. In the they look for that sort of stuff. There's a counters that the judges, good judges, look for in every little speck of a fight like that. And, and to me, them leg kicks didn't do absolutely anything to to sort of give him any points. Bar from it, were a tactical effort that he tried to do that that just wasn't working he you know, if he tried it in the beginning and sort of in a way fought his own fight I believe he were able I believe it would have been totally different but again with Gagne he that's how you fight someone who's so tall you don't take a step back and let Volk and, and let Alex do what he wants to do because Alex if you let that Alex is going to jab you up he's going to kick you he's going to use his leg you're not going to get near him so you've got to take the fight to him. Yeah, fair enough, he might get cracked. But someone who's that big, you're going to have to have good head movement and you're going to have to take the fight to him. Other than that, it's their fight nine out of ten times. Civil Gagne came over a perfect game plan. He was a bigger guy. He, he knew predominantly, both of them knew predominantly that he was going to be a stand-up fight. It was who could take more and who can give more. And Civil mm-hmm. Gagne went to nine and all. Yeah, absolutely. And he certainly put himself in the picture for at least uh, a uh, number one contender eliminator match, uh, perhaps up against Stipe. You know what? That would be for Stipe. Uh, it's an hard fight because you can't. 
I've saw a couple of I've saw a couple of uh, of sort of places now. I don't want to name names. The good sources, but it's little ongoing debates and little arguments. It's getting to this point now where Steve well, I'll put it out, and then you can leave it in the comments and get back to us whether whether you should see it. Their argument is because of what Steve has done for the heavyweight division, he should get an automatic title shot. He should get a rematch straight away. And or if not, he should be the next in line to fight for the belt, whether that be if Derek wins or Igarni wins. Steve should be next. My argument is he got finished in that fight in spectacular fashion. It's not like he was winning that fight. It's not like if he mm-hmm. stopped that takedown, he will win that fight. It's not like if he outpowered him, he will win that fight. We, we knew straight, as soon as that bell sort of went, we could sort of see it in Stipe's demeanour. We knew he won that fight straight away and mm-hmm. he didn't even start. So my argument is he needs to have another fight before fighting for the belt again. Yeah. And that's, I don't know who's right. Maybe it could be them, maybe it could be me. You leave in the comments and let us know who's right. But that's my argument. And Civil Gagne could be Stipe's sort of ticket to being like, well, look at this guy. Now, Civil Gagne has been the likes of JDS, Rosenstruck, now now Alex, and the list goes on with absolute names in that in in that heavyweight division. So it's not like he's fought nobody's and sort of got this like what six, seven, eight fight win streak against no names. He has. He's had to fight his way up the ladder. So I believe for him, a win against Stipe definitely puts you in a tight position. For Stipe, a win against him. Come on, you've got to give him his. You've got to give him a rematch for that because he's just beat Civil Gangue, who's on an absolute tear. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that'll be interesting to see if, if that's what the UFC uh, decides to do. Uh, it's very, um, it's very muddled. The top mm. of that that heavyweight division. Uh, but the next time that UFC are are live is three weeks away. Uh, yeah, so we, we're getting a bit of a. Bit of a break here on on five rounds, uh, but the 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 fight coming up in three weeks is is one of the no, big, no, you don't want to miss it, it. It's one of the biggest uh, of the year. The biggest. Um, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor three, three for for essentially for for all the chips. Um, and then it's not even if that that's just the 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 one big fight on the card because they've also got uh, Wonderboy taking on Gilbert Burns. Uh, we've got Sean O'Malley taking on Lewis Malcolm. We've got uh, everybody's favourite fighter, Tartavaza, hoping to whoop the living piss out of Greg Hardy. I fucking um, hope he does, and I hope he does a shoey and runs over and kicks him in bollocks <laughs> straight after. Greg Hardy, you a dickhead. So tune in to, uh, to uh, Five Rounds for that, and uh, also keep your eye on uh, the, the Five Rounds social medias. Uh, and on uh, my personal social media and, and Carl's social media for some uh, some news coming up regarding uh, five rounds in in the near future. Uh, so yeah, but uh, that is essentially the end of the show now, guys. So follow me on Twitter at Podfather Mags. Follow Carlos here at Kirby underscore Carlos. Keep your eye on uh, the five rounds uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Five Rounds Pod. Um, definitely go and show love to all the networks that, that have been supporting us all the way through, uh, Shooting the Sports-ish, uh, The Chair Shot and Visionaries Global Media. Uh, thank you all for listening, and that is the end. Adios, amigos. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.